0: Best in Chat radio, designed just for you.
1: Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and today my guest is Kate Copsey, and you probably know that name because Kate used to be right here on America's Web Radio. She was the host of America's
2: Homegrown Veggie Show for how long, Kate? I think it was about five, six years. It was great fun finding people. (laughs) Oh, yeah. One of the perks
1: of this job, of course, is that you get to talk to people all over the country. And in foreign countries, and that's a lot of fun, and get to know what you, what they know that you don't know. And then you did the Master Gardener Hour for a year or two, too,
2: didn't you? I think it was about a year and a half I did that. Uh, in fact, that was the one I started with when I lived in um, Atlanta. And one day D- David and I were talking, and he said, you know, uh, do you girls know um, about... Uh, The garden, sort of, um, I I can't remember what what he called them, but yes, it was, and I said, well, you know, we need a program on that, or I think he said that, and I said, hey, I'll do that temporarily, and that was how we started the veggie program. Temporarily for five years. (laughs) That was a long (laughs) long temporary, wasn't it? Yeah. And and I, I thought... Yeah, and I took it up to um with me when I did Ohio and then ended up uh, in New Jersey still doing it. You know, recording the term with all the technology was great fun. You know, I was thinking the other night
1: uh, that this would not have been possible 15 20 years ago. I mean, even just with the cost of the cost of the bandwidth and the cost of long distance phone calling. Oh, I remember absolutely. I remember how terribly, terribly expensive it was back in the day, and I was on one of the very first um, internet radio shows back in probably 19, I don't know, 92 or something like that. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, that goes back. They were talking about various computer resources, and of course, at that time, I'd already been doing radio for several years, and... And they wanted somebody that knew about various web sources like CompuServe. And I was on staff of, of the CompuServe Gardening Forum, um, which I still am. As a matter of fact, I'm manager now. But that that goes way, way, way back. And that was a hoot. But we only got to talk for like, I don't know, three or four minutes because it was so expensive for the other gals' radio station to do it. Oh. So, you've been, now, you, you took, you, you had to take off so that you could write your book, and you've got a brand new book out. It's your first book, isn't it, Kate? That's
2: right, and, of course, it's all about veggies, but um, it, it's called The Downsized Veggie Book, and, uh, you know, that took a lot of time to do, but I'd also got a second one out. Um, that I did uh, last year, too, which was one of the month-by-month books. Uh, Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yes.
1: Is that uh, month-by-month gardening in, in, like, the Northeast or the Mid-Atlantic states or something?
2: It's month-by-month New Jersey and New York. Um, which is actually challenging because I think the highest part of um, New York is a Zone Four, and the uh-huh. warmest part of New York and New Jersey is a Zone Eight down by Cape May and Long Island. So that was challenging. But <laughs> the veg- yeah, the petty the, the book actually was great fun to write. Um, obviously, it was a lot of work doing too. But uh, you know, and there's only so many hours in a day. So that was why I had to give up the radio show. But, you know, I really miss it even now, talking to all those wonderful guests and things. Well, but now that you've got your books
1: out, you're, you're getting a chance to do something else, which I always found really thrilling, and that's going out and talk to, talking to people live and in person because you're out on book tours and you're, you've been speaking. How many places have you spoken
2: at so far? And the show season just got started, too. Oh, it, it is fun talking to people with live audiences. Um, I started off at the end of February with, uh, the book came out February 15th, and I think it was the 25th that I did the um, Northwest Flower Show over in Seattle, which was a great show, I and mean, it's a fantastic show over there. Um, and then lately I've done uh, York, Pennsylvania, That was um, two weeks ago, and I tagged down the road to the Maryland um, flower show, which I did two talks there. Uh, Last weekend, I did the Philadelphia Home Show, Flower show, sorry. <laughs> They'd be horrified to call it a home the, show. Yes, <laughs> the biggest flower show in the United States. Yeah,
1: calling it a, a home show doesn't cut it, does it?
2: Yes, and then this upcoming weekend, I'm going to be in Albany, New York, or Troy, which is just over the river, uh, for two talks at the Capital District Flower Show. So been very busy month. Wow, yeah, that has been
1: busy. When do you When do you get chance to relax are you because you're obviously you're gone most weekends because that's when most of the flower shows are
2: yes i think probably next week i'll sleep for the week and then get back on (laughs) because there's always one more program when you're doing two programs like next next weekend or this upcoming weekend there's the one on the book uh, but also i'm going to be doing one on all color through the through the year um in the garden so they wanted two different thoughts um so that's that's kind of fun because you get to talk about shrubs and berries and things like that as well as vegetables which um i mean my i think think my i still my my heart is in the the veggies but um you know sometimes you you have to go to the rest of the garden to, to pollinate you and know, things. things yeah.
1: well and and you've had experience because you started gardening as a little girl didn't you
2: Oh, yes, well, my father did um and and my mother, and uh, you know in England, you can you grow up um really doing um gardening um, mm-hmm. yeah, so you know, there was always a garden out there, and of course there's been generations on generations putting cow manure on and horse manure on the ground, so it's kind of built a lot more viable than uh, most American clays from the midwest or down in the
1: Yes, for sure, for sure. Well, of course, you know, Atlanta, too, not only do we have the heat and the humidity that that just burns up organic matter in the soil, but a lot of our soils were um, were damaged by heavy growing of cotton for years and years, and... Um so we we had a double whammy now when you were a, when you were a child at home, something in your book intrigued me, and you talk about a potato trench. Tell me about a potato trench. You said you dumped all your scraps
2: food scraps in it all winter long. oh it's something really that everyone can do and um, you dig a trench in the fall, about sort of twelve inches deep and maybe two foot wide and you make it the whole length of the bed, and this is where your potatoes are going to go. But all through the winter, you know how you get the potato clippings and the veggie clippings and things like that? All those scraps, rather than going into a compost heap, you just toss them into the potato trench. And then come spring, you cover um, all the bits up and plant your potatoes, and you've got kind of almost the ready-made compost underneath them. And that was. kind of, we always called it potato Trench. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I you know it's, it's something that
1: I I remember doing when I was a child at my grandparents' farm, but we didn't call it that. So um, that, that's interesting. Of course, in the if you didn't get things cut, um, dug early, early in the fall, you didn't get a chance to do that because in Wisconsin the frost line went down several feet no you you garden in a fairly mild climate in england i assume because you you don't ha- sound like you have a scottish accent so i assume you're further south
2: Well, yes, I mean, England has kind of, um, it's a great climate, but it doesn't get really hot, or very very often. I mean, two days at 70 degrees is kind of a heat wave, Um, and if it gets to 80, by golly, that's hot. Um, So, so, you know, and then, of course, it's a lot more moist, but it doesn't get exceedingly cold either. Um, You do get snow in most areas, even down towards London, but um, it's a lot lot more general, and, uh, you know, it doesn't get those big swings of temperatures. I mean, where we are in New Jersey, we hit 70 degrees two weeks ago, and then then I think the the high the following day was about 34. Um, And we've got uh, snow possibly this weekend, and yet we've got beautiful temperatures right now, you know, kind of in, in the 60s, and then it's just going to plummet. So you get those wild swings, particularly in the Midwest, And the East Coast, well, you don't get that, I don't think, quite so much in in England particularly, because really it's just a piece of rock surrounded by water. (laughs) And And you've got the Gulf
1: Stream going up (laughs) past you, too, and that that moderates it pretty well. Um, A lot of people have told me that England is very much like the Pacific Northwest, where you were for the Northwest Flower and Garden Show. Is that about right? You agree oh, with I that, with so.
2: yeah. no great swings in temperature? Oh, that's right. Um, I mean, but when I'd be honest, I went from the hotel to the convention centre, so we didn't see um, too much outside. But I think you know that that is true because when you've got the ocean winds coming on, there's plenty of shall we say there's plenty of water there for the winds to catch on. <laughs> and so yes, ra- rainy climate um, and the same in England. You know, you do get um, a lot of moisture. Particularly from the the oceans, and uh, so so yes, it, it's very different uh, to, to grow in. and and that actually is the challenge with any gardener that that wants to write about um, do books, because the continental US is so large, and you have to take into account these different um, moisture levels and and whether they're close to the sea, and then if you remember the um, the, uh, the the heat map. Things. I mean, that actually identified where you really could grow uh, things like okra or watermelons in the summer. It's not all about how cold you get, and it's also about how right. much moisture you get. Well,
1: we have the coldest that I, time I've spent. A couple of them. One was in the Pacific Northwest, and the other was um, a, a couple of weeks spent with. One of my friends in England, we were gardening, garden touring, and she was loaning me her vests and, and a parka, and <laughs> it either rained or it was cold the whole time. We were tramping around Wisley and, and places like that. So, yeah, it's, I, I guess it's a challenge, and she complains, of course, when it does get really cold because she's not used to that, but, um, but you're pretty well qualified because you garden in England. You've gardened here in Georgia. You were in Ohio for a few years. Now you're in New Jersey. And weren't you someplace else on this curtain
2: too? Or am Uh, I forgetting? um, Yes, we we were in Indiana for several years. um, And we were in Albany, New York. Uh, We went down to Virginia. So we had a couple of years down there. Uh, Where else have we been? Uh, We've done Cleveland in Ohio. We've done southern um, Indiana down on the Kentucky border. So I've had a variety of everything from rocks and clay all the way down to, right now I'm on the equivalent of a sand pit uh, because we Um, are so close to the ocean. (laughs) I love the soils in New Jersey and I thought we
1: had a clay soil um, when we lived in New Jersey but I was you know coming down here with real culture shock but the soils there if you, if you're not on pure rock or a lot of rock you know the, the soils are pretty easy to deal with and of course that depend that makes uh, a difference on when your soils warm up too. We're going to have to take a little break right now, but when we come back, let's talk more about soils and gardening and
3: we'll be right back after this. Quick stakes. That's It's not just your garden.
0: It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow. With Bonnie. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My guest today is Kate Copsey, and we're talking about gardening in different parts of the country and and. What the challenges are that a gardener faces. In my case, here in Georgia, we've already had temperatures up to 85 degrees, and which was a new record high, I think. And... The pollen is just, as you can probably tell from my voice, the pollen is just horrendous. The way I had rings of pollen, Kate, in my bird bath this morning when I went out there from where the birds had splashed around and changed the water levels a little bit, and then it, it evaporated. So it's just really fierce. And we haven't even started on our pine pollen season yet. It's still just the hardwoods. My maple... One of my maples is about finished blooming. Another one is coming into bloom. Um, you said that your maples now are just starting.
2: They're just they just opening up. Um, so yes, we, we're a couple of weeks behind you, obviously. But we have we've got crocus out um, and the the early daffodils. But actually, I was talking. I did a talk yesterday on spring, and one of the slides. We, we still call them slides, um, that, that I mm-hmm. had was from two years ago. And uh, we had the, the first crocus came out March, I think it was March 8th. Then last year when we had a winter that went on forever, the mm-hmm. first crocus came, came out. Well, actually, it, it showed what it was like. It hadn't even got as far as blooming. And that was uh, March 15th. Now, this year, because we've had an El Nino year, the first crocus actually came out on February 27th, so we're a couple hmm. of weeks ahead. Um, and I, I'd like, like to say that this last winter was a perfect winter for gardeners because we could see the ground most of the time. We had the, the, the blizzard, obviously, um, that dumped 21 inches of, of snow on us. <laughs> um, but that was a, you know, that was a 48-hour then tick done the snow, um, and then we had an ice cold. Arctic blast come down so we did the cold weather uh, that that lasted about four or five days and then we've been moderate for the rest of it and what people forget is that you know the um, the garlic that you put it out in the fall well that comes up maybe three four inches before you know the cold weather hits and people freak out because they, they think it's going going to die well no I mean this one it got kind of bent by you can imagine under 21 inches of snow Um, it, it kind of did a little right angle and then when the snow went it waited until the cold weather went and it's up and running again it doesn't seem to take a break just because it's winter it's perfect it's lovely you did have a, a very mild winter,
1: and so did we. Uh, it's been really wet until very recently, and now we're actually hoping that we'll get a little bit of rain to wash the pollen out of the air, but unfortunately, we're, they're talking the F word for us for this weekend, which is not good for the trees and the shrubs. Um, you mentioned that your daffodils are all your crocus and your daffodils are up. My daffs are almost completely gone, except for a couple of very late miniatures. My crocus bloomed, I think, in February, and I've been harvesting broccoli and kale and green onions all winter long. It's been great oh, and wow. cilantro.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I really... think my kale went all year, but I don't think anything else did. <laughs> But, now, look, but an- another kale, thing, uh, kale is awfully hard to kill. Oh, yes. Another thing, though, that um, I think is of concern, and I mentioned this in the talk yesterday, if you remember, uh, probably about 10 years ago now, uh, we were down in Atlanta, and everything was coming out fairly early, even for Atlanta standards, and um, the strawberries were out down towards Savannah. And then an incredibly cold Arctic mass came down. Mm-hmm. and decimated everything. And that is my concern up here because, you know, we've got all these things coming out a couple of weeks early and people are wanting to plant things in the garden and things. And, and we, I think it's still way early. We could still get those arctic blasts to come down for all that it seems to be averaging out around 50, 60 degrees most days. Uh, it's kind of a false sense of humor security but then when it comes to the trees and things there isn't an awful lot you can do.
1: No there isn't and I'm really concerned for particularly the hydrangeas because I remember the great Easter freeze and the damage that that did but we've also had two years now with um, a warm a, a big warm up and then a freeze and then we also had two autumns with uh, premature freezes. That caught the plants off guard. They had um, started to go dormant, so we've you know I've got I lost maybe a, a, a foot and a half on most of my hydrangeas. Yeah, some of them got frozen all the way back to the ground, and and that happened to one of my Japanese maples too. So I'm I'm kind of concerned that that's going
2: to happen to them. Yeah, and of course it also happened on on kind of the fruit trees, the early blooming mm-hmm. ones like right? like the apricots and the peaches. The, those are starting to come out in some areas, just like the, the the red ones. And, you know, those are going to be affected by, if you if we do get a cold, a really cold snap. So, you know, it, it, it affects the trees, it affects the, the early vegetables, um, pretty much anything. Not to mention it it's done like disastrous for the psychology or psychological aspect from a gardening point of view. You know, you think you're out of winter and <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and then it bites you in the butt, and then there's you know,
1: but but I think that's a valuable lesson for new gardeners too, to know that there are some things that are out of your control, and yeah, you can be sensible and wait and plant your tomatoes. We used to do it Memorial Day weekend when we were when I lived up in new jersey um and you can you can be sensible and wait for that. But with some of the other things that you had to get in early, like early peas and potatoes and stuff like that, you know, it's it's you can cover a potato plant pretty well with a blanket or some frost cloth or something. But it's really hard to do that with a climbing pea vine. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think um, you know this year particularly, you know, it, it seems so warm. Uh, most of the winter we've had, we had a record warmth in um, December, I think, and I think February too, only by a couple of degrees in um, in uh, in February. But but it, it is a concern, you know, for for everybody. Um, and I know the last two years, um, I think two years ago, uh, our, our last frost date is about middle of May. Maybe the early bit of May, and you know, it, it's there are some years when it's so cold in in spring that you don't put the tomatoes out just because the frost you're not getting the frost doesn't mean it's not it doesn't mean it's warm enough for the tomatoes and the basil. And I think sure. people kind of forget that. Um, and I wouldn't. But two years ago, I put my tomatoes out probably mid-May. Then last year, because winter went on forever, um, I looked at the soil temperature and the general feel of the the air temperatures, and I didn't put my tomatoes out, even though we didn't have a frost, until probably the first week, maybe even the second week in June, because it just wasn't warm enough out there for tomatoes and peppers, which I like to think if if I'll put a swimsuit on, those can go out. If I'm, t- I'm still in jeans and sweater, the basil stays inside. <laughs> well, basil in particular
1: is is really sensitive to cold, May- maybe even more so than a lot of tomato varieties, because a hardened-off tomato can actually take a fair bit of cold as long as the soil isn't too cold. That's yeah. not to say it'll stand a frost. But, but Basil, I've some types of basil go down you know when it would drop to 45 degrees it yeah. would just kind of fade away
2: yeah and you know, I, and i think it, i mean the, the cool weather for instance if you put basil out if you've got 50 degree days and 40 degree nights it's not going to die but it's not going to thrive either and i right. think a, a, you know there's a there's a there's a difference you know it just looked like you kind of like a cat out in the rain or something. <laughs> do something about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't ever pay to jump the gun, whether you're gar- no matter where you're gardening. Um, and Or you have to do something
2: to warm up the soil ahead of time. Yeah, I, actually last year for the first time I used one of those wall of water things. Uh-huh. Um, I, I started it actually on the rhubarb. I've already got got the pots over the rhubarb to force it a little bit, but then in a couple of weeks I'm going to put the wall of water over them, and that really brought them on really fast. It was great, and then of course, and then I, I transferred the, the wall of water over to the young tomato and pepper plants because water in those little tubes around it um, gets really warm during the day, and mm-hmm. if we change some of that warmth. Overnight. I mean, if you put it out too too soon, my husband said, "Why aren't you putting that out over them now?" Well, yeah, I think it's too soon. Um, you know, you don't you don't want it to have a real freeze. I mean, that's going to just burst the thing to death. Um, so I, I I like to wait until you know the weather has settled into a good spring pattern. But uh, but that was that was great for forcing rhubarb and keep, and protecting young plants. So I think that's one way you can do it. And I will put a link, if people are not familiar with wall
1: waters, I will put a, a link up. I also have used them. Um, I like to use wall of water particularly on uh, some of the very cool, tolerant tomato varieties, like, uh, like a zoishka or stupiche. They, are both, they both tolerate quite a bit of cold. And... So I put a, I can, I've put them out here I think I've put them out as early as the first of March and I've actually had the tops freeze uh, but inside the wall of water they were protected enough so that they made it through but yeah that's really jumping the gun
2: now do you ever do you ever <laughs> I think, yeah I think you have to know um, you have to know a little bit of gardening before you actually try doing this but i th- I think we are in essence we're gamblers <laughs> you know we, we gamble a li- little with you know well the frost is going to be there let's put some beans out um and if we lose the beans uh, and because of a frost so be it but if you don't you're two weeks ahead so yeah we, we, we're gambling a little bit definitely now do you
1: also do what i used to do particularly when we had a cold spring i would take clear plastic and you know like just a plain old drop cloth from the hardware store and lay it over the bed of soil and let that warm it up that did a nice job for me
2: oh and does it matter if it's the clear
1: or the black when you do that um, well, clear has the disadvantage of weeds. Weed seeds, of course, can sprout, but you know, if you if you catch them really early too, and just kind of hoe them off or whatever, or even rake them off, uh, you, that works. But the clear sort plastic actually heats up hard, hot, hotter and faster than the black plastic does.
2: And, and it doesn't, there's no danger of soil or, um, sort of overheating the top of the soil when it's this early in the year so that you kind of no. you, you basically kill all the good guys, uh, little bugs in there.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't found it to be a problem. Even here in the south, where, of course, our sun, sun seems to be so much stronger than it was when we lived up north. It just hasn't been a problem. I could see maybe if... You know, it was 85 degrees for a a long period of time and, and very sunny that it might do some damage, but I hadn't noticed any problem before. We'll talk about some more tricks for spring weather in particular, and then I'd like to talk some about your book. But we
0: have to take a little break right now, and we'll be right back after this. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now, with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow
3: with Bonnie. Quick stakes. That's Q-U-I-K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's stakes. Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now.
0: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Today, my guest is Kate Copsie, who is the author of a couple of books, including one that I really like. It's called The Downsized Veggie Garden, and
2: it's brand new in, what, February 15th, did you say, Kate? It was February 15th. It officially went on to Amazon, um, but it's been, it had been there for a while, um, since last year, I think, with people ordering it. So it's, it's great fun.
1: And the subtitle of the book is How to Garden Small Wherever You Live, Whatever Your Space. And we've been talking with Kate so far about she's lived a lot of areas, and one of the things we were talking about just now is how to beat the weather in the springtime. And I mentioned the warming up the soil ahead of time. And you can use black plastic, Kate. That's traditional, and with black plastic, you don't have to remove it later on. But the... Clear plastic, I think, does a, does a better job early on um, to, to get a jump start on it. But then you know what you can do with that afterwards? You can take that same piece of plastic and wrap it around your tomato cage. Oh. And clip it with a couple of little clothespins, you know, the spring type. And then it prov- it provides a nice little warm place for the tomatoes to grow in, keeps the wind off of them. And you can throw, if it's going to be cold, you can throw a piece of frost cloth or a blanket over the top of them, and you're just all set. Oh, what a good idea. idea. A little miniature greenhouse. And I've done it with with pole beans, too, and cucumbers to let them. I plant them inside of a tomato cage, you know, one of the tall ones, because I make my tomato cages out of concrete reinforcing wire, or my husband does. I
2: have concrete. tried using um, bu- bubble the bubble wrap once or twice because that's got the air in it. And when I was over uh-huh. in um, Indiana, you know, some of those poly poly hoop houses, you mm-hmm. know, they, they have a little bit of air between them and it's the air that kind of diffuses that cold air so that it doesn't go inside. Um, and the whole sure. theory was that, you know, the, that gap that was important. So I was messing around with, bubble wrap, because again you've got the little bubbles which have air in them to see if that would actually make a difference um, and I used that kind of on the equivalent of a cold frame or 4 by 4 and just kind of covered it and it was quite successful but I'm not sure um, wh- whether it was the plastic that was absorbing uh, the heat from the sun or you know like like your plastic whether it's just a factor that it's plastic or whether it was the bubbles that were helping things
1: Well when I first bought my greenhouse um, it was. They didn't have a, a, a an insulation kit for it. Like now, most of the greenhouse the better greenhouses are are twin wall construction, so that there is that airspace. But what they recommended then uh, was to use bubble wrap on the inside of the greenhouse to keep oh. it keep it warmer. Oh. And you put it bubble side to the. To the um, well, it's not glass; it's a plastic fiberglass kind of product. But and and that gives the additional the bubbles themselves plus the airspace with, that's trapped between you know because bubbles are not just a continuous sheet. You know they've they've got thick parts and thin parts on them. But that gave an extra layer of insulation, and that worked pretty well. Oh. Um, you did have to use a special glue on it so that it would stay up because otherwise when the greenhouse fan went on, um, you know, it would just blow it down off of the ceiling. (laughs) But but that worked pretty well. So I can see where your bubble wrap would work well. And one year my folks used to have a a big swimming pool, and they liked to swim, particularly my father liked to swim a good bit of the year. So he had a, a solar blanket that is also bubble plastic, that he would put over the pool, and it, you know, it kept debris out, and it would keep the pool a lot warmer. It would save, They did have a heater for it, that it would save a lot of energy. And then one year he was replacing that, and he said, do you have any use for it? And I said, of course I do. And it was a little <laughs> too heavy to go directly on plants, but we made some hoops out of PVC, and just laid it over the top of that and it was really nice
2: and it didn't overheat like clear plastic does yeah and of course you can get bubble wrap right now at uh, big box stores under um shipping and uh, you know it, it's it's fun to to use that. Um, I didn't realise, um, you know, that you'd used it. Um, we used to have one of those um, poly things. The problem that we found with the poly on the pool was that they tended to get um, algae growing underneath it. Mm-hmm. which is why, why we uh, stopped using it eventually, uh, plus, plus the fact that it wasn't on a, a roller, so it was a royal pain to take it off and put it back on each day. Um, yeah. But, but we did, but we, did start, we did start to have a few algae problems with it. Maybe we left it on too long, and I don't remember. That's a great I, way of recycling I, it.
1: <laughs> yeah, my parents left it on until, oh, I don't know, maybe early June. Because, of course, you know, a pool like that loses an awful lot of, of, of warmth to the air because it's got a, a fairly large surface area. Now, one thing we do have to tell people about protecting their plants is that plastic by itself is not frost protection. Frost, you know, and and it can heat up really, really fast when the sun hits it, so it's not your best number one, but it can be useful, like in the case of the wall of waters, uh, which is vented at the top, or like my tomato cages, which was vented at the top, and then, a, you know, really cold nights, throw a blanket over it, but... A lot of people think that they're keeping the frost off really well with plastic. Nah, there's, there's almost no R factor to it. But what it does do, of course, is to keep the warmth of the ground in, you know, it retains that heat if you've got any heat in, the, in your soil. So, oh, yeah. hey, do you have any other yeah. tricks? What what other trip, t- tricks do you have for that?
2: um well you know what what's the point? i i've tried doing different things um in in the the garden um, as far as frost protection um i use uh, you you mentioned the greenhouses that have the the um, the fiberglass on the side. Mm-hmm. um well in that same section of the back left hand side of the hardware store it's always there i don't know why and it always seems that i end up in the back left hand section they do um panels of it 's kind of wavy plastic that used to be mm-hmm. used or is used kind of for out- outdoor rooms and things like that. Sure, they come in two by eight panels well they 're quite happy to make those into two by four panels and then I put those again on top of the um, the, the four by four uh, kind, kind of a, a, a again a kind of a little making it into a little coal frame and when I did that in um indiana and it was a normal winter there was the normal snow and stuff i was able to harvest lettuce all the way through the winter you know being able to go wow. out and, and get lettuce in um in january was great mm-hmm. um and actually I, I got those tips from the book uh, the, the year-round vegetable garden from nikki uh, javor yeah that that's a great book
1: it's got. Some, oh it is. and and yeah. I'll put a link to that up too now, talking about your book i like like the way that you have figured out a way that people can grow almost any place, and what is the first thing that they have to know?
2: Um, I think you need to know your climate more than anything else you know don't as, as we mentioned before, don't brush things out, but if you've got a good soil base and enough. Sunlight, you can do almost anything in containers or in a, a small garden. Um, and I, but I think um, don't overcrowd things is the other big tip um, that you really shouldn't do. Oh yes, and I'm sure that most people are
1: like me and probably like you that. You know, you you want to try one more plant. You think you can get it in there, and they look so tiny when they're little baby plants. But that's kind of like bringing home a Saint Bernard puppy, isn't it?
2: Oh, oh yes. I mean, I'm (laughs) I'm dreadful for doing that. You know, you you order you forget that you ordered maybe a set of red onions, and Mm -hmm. then you're in the, the supermarket or 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 Walmart or wherever and you see that they're on special, so you pick up some, and there's an awful lot in this, a little elastic band of onions. Eggs, and uh, it, um, And then you have to find somewhere where to put them, uh-huh. because then the other, uh-huh. other lot arrived, and you've got 200 onions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My biggest problem is most of the mail-order places have large orders. Only, you know, they, they want to sell you 50 of them in a bundle. And so if you want a couple of varieties, that's, you're dealing with a whole lot of plants then. So when I was growing onions, um, I, other than scallions, because I still grow real green onions like that, but when I was growing them, I would always find somebody to split an order with me
2: yeah. ahead of time. That- yeah, that, that, that's a good good idea because not everybody wants 200 plants. Um, the other yeah. thing I've tried is, is grow, growing some of these from seed, but I, I think you really need to put the seed out in the fall and let it go through the winter and let it germinate, or do winter sowing with it where you use little um, uh, I don't know, juice pots and things outside and you let it uh, do, do it in its own time. Um, exactly you can do that. If you if you put the seed out now, particularly in the northern part of the the continent, although it's it's mild, I think it takes so long for it to develop into a full onion. You're not getting anything until probably September, which is okay, right. but that's a waste of space. If you if you know if you've got tomatoes growing. That you want to space full as well, and and especially especially if you
1: um, are gardening in containers or in small raised beds, it does take a long time. But back when I used to grow onions myself from seed, I would start the onions indoors in January or so, and they were perfectly happy growing in the utility room with no no supplemental heat. Um, there was enough heat from the lights because, of course, they do grow in the in the cool of the year. And then I would plant them fairly thickly outside, you know, cl- closer spacing. Once they got to about pencil size, and I could put them out, they would. Um, I would plant them about double the s- eventual spacing that I want, and then pull every other one um, to eat during the season. And that can be a really easy way to save some space in your garden.
2: Yeah, um, and, and, of course, some some things don't like growing next to onions, like peas. They don't germinate awfully well, you know, if, if they're next to onions. Oh, no, beans, I think it was. Um, and, I think uh, it's the whole family, but, yeah. Yes, um, yeah. Um, but, yes, I mean, I, I, onions particularly, I, I think, um, you know, they do need that long season. And I, I do the actual, the scallions, I don't even bother putting them in the garden. I just use a container. Um, kind kind of a two-gallon black pot and just spread the seeds in there, keep it watered, and and they're fine, because you you want to just pick them up in in bunches and things. So, you know, why why bother even putting them in the garden? First, you've got the depth value. A standard four-by-four, if it comes in tips, some of them are only four to six inches deep. And so Mm -hmm. if you've got a a gallon pot or something, you've got that that eight inches, which... um, it gives a lot better growth for, for the roots of these things as well.
1: Yeah, um, if you can keep them watered, because, again, they're really sensitive to underwatering, letting the pots dry out, and I'm really good at that, or I was. But you've got a really good tip in your book about getting a drip irrigation set up. That, that works just wonderful. I have a, um, and they make them for container gardens now, so you can just get a, a little um, – little timer for it and set it to go on and you're all gone and i can't believe that we're out of time for this segment yet but we'll be back right after this
3: quick stakes. that's it's not just your garden
0: it's the way you live and there's so much to know but you have help Bonnie Plants now with Bonnie's app Homegrown you can learn about veggie and herb varieties track and record your garden with photos and notes share on Facebook and Twitter and so much more how'd you ever grow without it get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android the more you know the better you can grow with Bonnie
1: Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and today I've been talking to Kate Copsey, who is the author of two books, and the one we're talking about today is called The Downsized Veggie Garden: How to Garden Small Wherever You Live, Whatever Your Space. And we've talked about the importance of sunshine and about irrigation and the wonderful little drip irrigation kits for containers that they make. But let's talk about some containers. What would you? What kind of advice would you give pe- to people about containers?
2: Um, I think that the most important thing with containers is to get a good uh, soil mix in there. But, but I, I'm, I'm just getting back to the irrigation a little bit. It's just as easy to put irrigation onto containers and string it over. I strung it along the um, the top of the deck because I'd got some containers actually that were seated on top of the um, the deck railing. And you just put the little spigots out, just like you can in a garden where you put the spigots to the uh, tomato plant or the um, pepper plant or, or the shrub. It's exactly the same uh, theory. The, the interesting thing is, though, don't go to the garden center or, or the pop store to do it. Um, you go to the plumbing section. Why they can't... (laughs) yep. If if you ask for drip irrigation in the garden center, they're not really sure what you mean, but they say if it's to do with water, go to plumbing. And there are actually (laughs) some nice kits around now. Why they can't put it in both places, I don't know. But... um, so that, that's the big tip. Apart from the, the, um, the bottom left-hand side of the floor, go to the plumbing for the irrigation. Um, and, and it really is um, it, anything that you can do to save time when, you, mm-hmm. when you're working with containers, because yeah, you know, particularly small containers in the middle of the summer and in the south, they've got to be watered sometimes twice a day. Now, you can be, um, most of us have got better things to do. So if you can put that on a timer, then you can go away for a weekend and it still gets watered. You know, anything to make life a little bit easier will also make you a little more successful in growing. And that's the whole idea. I think you're right. I know a lot of people
1: like to go out there and stand in water because it's relaxing to them, but unfortunately that ends up being usually at the wrong time of the day for the plants for their best growth. Like, you know, people come home from work and they like to stand there in water, and then the plant leaves get wet and then they stay wet all night and end up with more disease problems, and frankly, standing there holding a faucet is not really efficient either because you get too much water coming out most of the time. There are some good nozzles out there that, that work better, but I agree. Drip is definitely the way to go. And now I noticed a couple of, or a couple of years ago Proven Winners has container kits for drip watering, and they're readily available online, and even our local big box stores now have had little kits. If you know how to do it yourself, and it's fairly easy um, to do just putting the little T's in and, and things like that. Um, you can get to all the stuff and save a bunch of money. But, again, time is money for a lot of us.
2: And, and there's a lot of um, containers out there where you water from the bottom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those have kind of wick systems that go into the plant medium. And I've noticed as well uh, with seed starting kit, A Mm -hmm. lot of those are also being watered from the bottom, particularly if you use the pellets. If you use the seed um, mixes and things like that in the little six-packs, if you can water them from underneath... It makes a big difference. You know, typically, though, you know, up until probably last year, everybody was getting seed mixes and putting it into, uh, moistening it, putting it into the, the six-pack, uh, the, the plants would grow, and then you'd ditch the six-pack into the trash. Now you can get, um, and they've been around for a while, but I think I just noticed them. maybe the little pellets that you uh, put water on, they expand. <laughs> yeah, well, the but just pellets...
1: Yeah, now They have the Jiffy pellets, and now they have the Core pellets um, that some people are selling. I, you know, I don't like those as well as I like six-packs because, le- because they tend to evaporate and cool off faster. And while that can be great if you're trying to grow in a hot room, um, the evaporation helps, or if you're in a really dry climate, but I found that especially for things like peppers, it really slows them down. But they oh, are really? very handy. Yeah, it, it, it's just it's just a matter of chilling, and I'm fortunate because I have a fair collection of heat mats for seed starting, but not everybody has those. So that's just something to think about.
2: Now. When you're I, of actually, course I, I, I my uh my tomatoes, uh, my peppers were a little late i thought they were a little late in um germinating, so i actually i got a couple of hot water bottles and filled those with hot water and sat them <laughs> underneath. <laughs> Thinking, I, I, must was, get, I must get myself a
1: heat mat. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. You need everybody needs a heat heat mat if they're going to start their own tomatoes and peppers and eggplants. And I really, I, I'm a strong believer in that you should, you know, start a lot of your own stuff from seed because you get such a better variety. It's not maybe the easiest thing for beginners, but hey, people have been doing it for millions of years. Um, starting from food. well, yeah,
2: and and I, th- I think um, you know when, when it comes to starting, whether whether you're going to buy seeds or a plant, I think there are certain criteria, um, and I, I go through this in some of my talks. Sure, if if you want a lot of things like basil and lettuce, and you know, you wouldn't bother buying buying plants, but if you only want one or two, like one sage plant or one rosemary, it's usually enough. That's when you sure. go for the plant, and you get a lot more. Um, You've got a lot more variety if you go by seed. Uh, when when you are in the plants, you know there's even the tomato plants. There's only a limited amount that, that a store will carry. Um, the, the other factor, though, is so if you start from seed, you know, you have to be start ordering and starting it now, and you're probably not going to get um, a tomato until probably, what, uh, mid-June, whereas you can go go in probably mid-May and go to the, the store, and you will get tomato plants that already have flowers and little tomatoes, so there's that instant gratification that you don't get from seed. Yeah, instant gratification, yeah. but... But
1: if you're buying a tomato that already has tomatoes on it and flowers on it, it's going to have a longer time to establish itself, so yeah, you'll get a couple of early fruits, but... I, I don't think you get as strong a plant in the end as you do. But certainly, if you don't get your seeds started really soon um, in most of the country, you're not going to get a, a plant that's ready to put out in the garden. figure you've you got to do but six weeks ahead for uh, tomatoes and eight for peppers. And you can yep. even push that to ten for
2: those. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, which is why um mid mid-march early April is really when you you need to get them started so that you can get get them ready for the middle to end of May, which is when typically the ground is is ready for it. It, in in your part of the country, yes, of course. Yeah, I remember. I
1: remember waiting until Memorial Day weekend to plant when we lived up north, and when when we lived in Illinois, it was usually the first week of June, just so that the yes. soil could I, I, warm I think
2: up. That's true for um, the Great Lakes area and uh, the Northeast, uh, particularly if, if you get into New England. Their frost yes. are probably much later in May. My, mine, as I said earlier, is kind of the, the middle part, early, early to middle part of May. So I, I and it depends again on the on the year. Um, my guess yeah. is that this year I'll be able to probably put um, the tomatoes out a little earlier than the frost date, but we'll see. <laughs> it's still so, way Yeah, yeah you,
1: you just you have to kind of watch the weather and be prepared and make sure that your soil is warm. I will put a link up. I found a great website that has. Uh, you can plug in your zip code, and it'll give you your first and last average frost dates, and give you some percentages. Now, yeah. in there, in, you mentioned that you like self-watering containers in your book, and I like—I've tried both Growbox and Earthbox, and they both have advantages and disadvantages. But they're a whole lot better than trying to water everything by hand. Um, what do you put in your containers when you're growing? Do you have a favourite soil mix, or soil-less mix, or what do you like?
2: Um, definitely soil-less mixes. Um, you know, don't don't get any garden soil in it. In it. Um, but I I like ones that have got a little bit of organic fertilizer in them. Um, usually they're teeth based with. Vermiculite or perlite in them, and some compost in them. Uh, you can get get them ready, ready made. There's a nice one, and, and it's got to be fairly light. I mean, you don't want it coming out looking like bark. I got I got one from a cheap store, and it was organic, and it was it had fertilizer in it and all that. But it looked like it was a mulch more than a a, a growing meal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, um, I I like one, and I can't remember the actual name. But it comes out of Long Island called. Compost, which is kind of a, a regional supplier, so and that's a okay. nice variable type of um, mix, and I, so that's what I tend to use in my in my uh, container, and it works very very well. If you you think about it, I will put it up on our our Facebook page if you can think
1: of the name or if you come across it. Oh, Another one that people can look out for in much of the country is a a product called Pro-Mix. You can get it in smaller bags, but I buy it by the giant bale. It's 3.8-foot compressed bale. And then on the West Coast, there are quite a few regional... Um, Soilless mixes that people can buy. But, you know, a good place where people could get this information um, for your area, for what's locally available, is from your local master gardeners. or your extension service. And many master gardeners, you mentioned buying plants, master gardeners very often will have plant sales in the springtime. Like ours is coming up the first week of April, and I know that a lot of um, other areas up north will have their plant sales closer to the actual planting out date. Oh, yes,
2: yeah. And they have great for actually getting some of those great varieties of tomatoes. Yeah,
1: because master gardeners are just nuts about plants and that's why they grow them and sell them so you can get and while you're there you can also ask the master gardener how do you grow this what's the best time how much water do they need um when do you fertilize it and things like that do you have we've only got about two minutes here um do you have any last minute tips for anybody Uh, well i think if you're in a
2: cramped space you need to start looking at vertical containers um, there's one that's called um, my garden Post, which has about five different containers um, on it that's a strong upper post and that that's a really nice one because the the lower containers are big enough for tomatoes and small squash. Um, the, the other ones I, I really like were ones that, that sit on the deck railings and those come in but they came in, in vibrant colors but you've got, you've got to make sure that you've got enough deck there in the container for the tomatoes or the, even if you're doing carrots. Um, and of course look for small varieties. Look for things like uh, dwarf this or that, um, petite, along, ones that use uh, fairy tale names like Thumbelina peas. Those types <laughs> are inherited. Those, those are going to be smaller varieties and useful for containers. Don't don't try and grow, for instance, a, um, a dinosaur kale. <laughs> you know, by default, you know those are going to be big. The dwarf kale is going to be small. And so, use some common sense when you're picking. Something that's are Most that so that's fine. Yeah, a lot
1: of seed catalogs now, like Renee's Garden. She was my guest a couple of weeks back, and she lists um, containers varieties right in the catalog. You so see, you just look, look online, look for container varieties, and a lot of a lot of seed sellers will do that. So that's that's something else. Okay, Kate, where can people find your book?
2: Uh, they can find it on Amazon, of course. They can also go, if they want to find copy, they can buy it direct from my webpage, com. It's okay. right on the front page there. Um, there. There's also the other book there, um, which will be available as of August 1st. Um, it, there's also a link there to the blog, but also where I'm talking. So, okay. you know, that, yeah.
1: And I will put this up on our Facebook page so that everyone will have it. Thank you so much for being with us, Kate. It was fun. I hope we can do it again sometime. And that's all the time we have for today. I hope you'll join us next week.
0: This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.